It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Series. I am your host, Patrick Egan, and as we always do, we'd like to welcome our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson at this time. How's it going, Gene? Good, Patrick. It's good to talk to you again on the podcast. Good to be back. It is good to be back. You know, things are pretty busy. Um, you know, we were just talking about that off air. <laughs> The the workload is uh, scary, but uh, lots of things going on. Um, you know, there's there's lots of interest in uh, the drone thing, to say the least. People are calling it drone fever. I think it's more of a mania. Uh, totally out of control. Have another national interview tomorrow. We'll see how that goes. I don't know. That's it's starting to scare me in the sense that... Uh, <laughs> They're asking me to do things I don't know that I'm totally comfortable with. We'll have to check out the legalities of of, of all of that. So, you know, because I'm not going to, uh, you know, I, I haven't been out there working, let's say, because I don't want to, you know, let's say dis- discount my credibility while interfacing with the civil aviation authorities around the world. So, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I have these stipulations and things that I won't do, so we'll have to see how that pans out, or if it even pans out, pans out, because I don't, I had to let the dog and pony go last year due to budget constraints, <laughs> nowhere yeah, to park the yeah. trailer. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I, I understand. So, all right, well, you know, we usually, we're supposed to have a guest, but, uh, you know, know if we can figure out the times or whatever but even besides that i know that we have enough to talk about with um you know current things going on so like you know what's going on with you things in the news uh things that are gonna happen in the news you know so so many things patrick as we said but you know one of the things that that i want to stress and and this has kind of filled up my week and everyone knows that that you know my positive use of unmanned aircraft is for search and rescue and I got to tell you, missing people and, and those who, who go missing don't take a holiday. And this is no different. Uh, we are, you know, we've got three potential searches working right now that uh, could benefit from the use of, of unmanned aircraft. Would love to apply them. And, and, of course, we're working diligently with the FAA to get them done. But, uh, you know, I just, I just want to kind of bring to the forefront that this is a life-saving technology. We could be using this now, and, and we're going to be, but it's just because of these all kind of seem to pile on this week, and, and there are so many of them, that it just kind of takes me back that 
you know, more people don't get it and, and we can't bring more pressure to bear. And this exemption should have been done a long time ago. And it's one of those things that I just haven't had time to write it yet because I've been too busy actually working with these people. You know what I mean? Uh, I do know what you mean. And, uh, you know, people have, you know, I think six months or a year ago, you know, we were, you know, talking on the podcast and I said, hey, you know, uh, I think things are going to get really weird, weirder. And things are weird. They've gotten weirder. Um, things that you're talking about, people are, you know, I, I'm talking, I mean, I'm talking to like very high level folks. You know, we're talking, you know, very high level in our government. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have the same question for me. How do we move the ball forward? What's going on? And I got to tell you straight off the bat, um, I am, I'm not dismayed anymore. I am alarmed. Um, you know, we're, we're throwing right back to 10 years ago with the FAA talking about we need data. We need business to figure out how we're going to manage um, the airspace. We need you to tell us who's going to be flying and where, when. Um, design, build, run, and maintain a traffic management system. And this is, you know, here's the problem. And this has always been the problem. And again, we're, you know, here's the uh, the gold ore cart. Problem is, is the FAA is trying to slough off their charge onto, let's say, a community that is not an aviation community. It is so frustrating to go to these meetings and you have someone from the FAA, well, you know, you guys are going to, you know, it'll be like this and you're going to have to do that and tell us this and everything else. And it's like, you know, one person speaking French and the other person is speaking uh, Cantonese. And, you know, these people do not understand what the FAA is talking about. And, uh, you know, the FAA doesn't understand what they're talking about. And, and you know, it, this thing is global. And I know I'm on the soapbox here. No but, question. You know, no question. I, I have talked to, you know, people. And, you know, I'm on the Beyond Visual Line of Sight Action Team Committee. I can't even talk about that, which is, to me, is totally retarded that I can't talk about a public policy thing. But, hey, you know, I think they're getting ready to give me the slip. Um, you know, I, I could make a contribution. Yeah, I made the contribution for RCAP, a 17-pager. I can't share it with even the membership. St- stupid. Um, however, it was it was probably one of the, the longest documents there, one of the most relevant documents there. Didn't even make the PowerPoint stating who turned in documents or what. I actually our cap didn't even make the PowerPoint. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, uh I was talking about this in the meeting about uh software certification for beyond visual line of sight. Nobody even knows what I'm talking about. However, um talking to my contacts in Europe, um and I, I had kind of feared this uh, and I think we've talked about it. I didn't think that we were going to be able to have visual beyond visual line of sight um, flight without some sort of software certification. Nobody is mentioning it here, and I've asked at several meetings, one at NASA, and when you know during this committee, and other people, and yada yada. And I was ta- I said, hmm, I, well, you know, there'll be some cer- maybe some certification issues. Uh, I don't see how people will allow this to. To, to go. Well, over in Europe, the FAA is talking about and has let the cat out of the satchel DO 178B. 
And if, you know, people don't know what that is, you know, they might want to yeah, Google you need to, it. Yeah, yeah, just give us a, a, a little synopsis there, Patrick. What is uh, that particular document? What does it? What do those acronyms stand for? Well, the DO-178B is uh, Software Considerations in Airborne Systems and Equipment Certification. It's a document dealing with the safety of software used in certain airborne systems. Okay, and I'm getting this from uh, Wikipedia because I was late doing other stuff. But basically what it is, uh, it's it's guidance to determine if the software will perform reliably in airborne in an airborne environment. So what does that mean? And okay. Whether it can be hacked or not? Uh, it's even beyond that. Now, I did, um, you know, I was on a webinar a few months ago, and they were talking about DO. Forgot to unplug the phone. Sorry, everyone. Uh, it's probably Google uh, trying to get me to <laughs> update my AdWords. That's like every day. Anyway, um the I was on a webinar and they were talking about the DO-178C certification. Now the B is is Part 21, okay, 14 CFR right. Part 21. 178C is probably a little bit more stringent. I don't know. I've got to do more research on that. But anyway, if you know to cheer everyone up, certification. This is just certification cost for DO-178C. A hundred dollars a line of code and that's for your that's going to be for all software on your drone okay you know and 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 i wrote software for 19 years and i gotta tell you i i can write a lot of lines of code well is there anywhere to string those together so maybe you just have like five Concatenation is what they call that, and I'm afraid you're out of luck on that one, bud. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, this goes right back to the conversation that I've been having with people at very high levels um, of, of participation. Um, even people that are supposedly working for big companies or people that used to work for for DOD advocacy groups and all the rest of us should know better on all of this stuff. Fatter, dumber, and happier. I don't know if they're not saying anything. I don't know if they don't know, but, you know, even big companies that are manufacturing autopilots, if they go down the DO-178B or C road, it is going to add a lot of cost to autopilots, and it's going to cut a lot of people out of this business. And from what I've heard from people in big companies is, well, that's good for us because that means less competition. So I'm, I'm just going to say be careful who you put your faith in because uh, most people don't know what they're talking about at all. Um, you know, I, I make jokes about, you know, putting people putting a drone in their Twitter handle and uh, having all kinds of credibility. It's dangerous and, again, alarming. But anyway, I want to I want to get off the, the doom cloud. It's not my doom cloud. That's the FAA's doom cloud. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes I wonder if people don't like the the song I'm singing, you know, or it's just my singing. I I don't know, but it's the reality of the situation. Um, you know, people don't get involved. I'm telling you, it's it's <laughs> the game's almost sewed up, and it's going to be very hard to come back. Um, oh, the other deal that might be an interesting tidbit is anything you know, um, you know, I've been talking about the S far that's coming out. 
Right. And, you know, people, oh, you know, what's the licensing going to be like? And there's lots of speculation. There's speculation back and forth. And, you know, you've seen things in the paper and things like that. But uh, I think that uh, beyond visual line of sight, it's going to be very stringent. And I think that, uh, you know, people like Amazon and whatever else who think they're going to be doing whatever they want to do in five years, dreaming. You know, they're just dreaming. Anyway, well, I, I think we've we've kind of surmised that uh, you know uh, flying beyond line of sight is is a lot like flying on instruments in an aircraft. I mean, that's that's the natural progression of things. Yeah, you know what is that going to mean to your average, you know, small business person or farmer or you know whatever else? I, it's all I can say is get involved in the effort. Don't sit back and wring your hands because um, your future's at stake. But that's about it. You know, you I, anything- this is this is a lot like you know if you go back to the the turn of the other century, the one before this one, uh, motor cars. I mean, there were laws in, enacted that said if you were driving one of the infernal machines that uh, if you came on to the horse and buggy, you had to pull off on the side of the road and turn the motor off so as not to spook the horse. <laughs> right. Well, I think we're we're kind of about there. Although it's, again, you know, the global thing, if you look at what's going on in Europe and the rest of the world, Canada, Australia, and all the rest of that, there's there's legal paths to operate so it's not like we are reinventing the wheel we're just not paying attention to those that have already made the wheel but whatever anyway so Mm -hmm. let's let's pick it back up now we're going to uh, bring on our guest and our guest today is from drone you and his name is paul adkin paul are you out there i'm here can you hear me i can hear you loud and clear oh good to know good to know thanks for having me on Hey, no problem. Uh, you know, sorry it's taking a little while to get all this together, but again, we have, um, you know, a few things going on around here. But uh, maybe, um, Paul, you could give the listeners some background on yourself, how you became involved with unmanned aircraft systems. Just, a, you know, a little history. <clears throat> well, um, I became unmanned, uh, I became involved in unmanned aerial systems because of a love and out of boredom. If you really want to know the truth, when I used to live in Prague, uh, uh, back in 2010, we didn't have TV, and we always went down to kind of the black market and bought little uh, little helicopters, and we would try to land them on a bed post, and we would try and fly them across the street to the National Theater and mess with people and have fun. And then uh, I came back to the United States, won an entrepreneurial challenge at my college for something completely different. Uh, still was flying stuff. I had a company called Ride Media, which we were doing social media for a lot of clients, and they asked me for aerial photos. And I just decided, wow, this could uh, this could really do something for me. So I went to the Unmanned Vehicle University, which you know of, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Mr. And our Dr. Lemieux, that's uh, un- Dr. You know, rest in peace. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. Um I got I to gotta say, I learned a lot from there, but what really helped me out was um, becoming an instructor once he had kind of seen my ability to fly, and then becoming an instructor for the National Association of Broadcasters last year and teaching reporters and journalists how to fly as well. Um, so over the last few years, I've done everything from um, soil reclamation 
to mining efforts in uh, western New Mexico for humates, um, to filming the first FAA drone sanctioned demonstration at the Rocky Mountain Air Show this past summer, which was truly a, a pleasure. And, you know, something, Pat, I forgot to mention, when I met the FISDO guy, he told me right away, he goes, you know, there are people down here in the FAA who do the work, and then there's everyone else that's upstairs. He goes, I'm not a politician, and I'm not here to tell you what you can and can't do as far as making money. And that brought up a very significant point that my business partner raised yesterday in the car on the way down to a drone demonstration in Las Cruces. What is the FAA sanctioned to do, Pat? Well, you know, as far as their charge is concerned, you know, it's uh, they always talk about safety of the NAS and um, the people in it and the equipment in it and the aircraft in it. That That is 100% correct. Um, but do you know that they do not have the authority to regulate commerce? That's actually the Secretary of Commerce. And if you look at the history of the FAA when it was started, it was actually started in 1926, a full 23 years after the fact that we had airplanes. And that wasn't even the beginning of the FAA. The beginning of the FAA was really in 1958 when the CAA and the CAB were brought together after Congress had said, hey, look, we need to give the Secretary of Commerce the ability to regulate commerce in the airspace to create safety and guidelines. Well, then the Secretary of Commerce created the CAA and CAB to write safety guidelines and to inspect aircraft and manufacturers and create what they call the safety in the national airspace system. So a fundamental question I have to ask you and your listeners is why are we giving the FAA the opportunity to state that they regulate commerce through regulating the commercialization of drones? Well, you know, I'm not uh, an expert on FAA history, but, uh, you know, you are talking about the beginning of that. And we did, you know, there have been these conversations and this point has been brought up to the FAA. And at some point they contend that things have changed and people making money in the NAS is not their problem. Their charge is safety. So, and that's, you know, uh, kind of where they go all the time. They don't, nobody at the FAA cares if the airlines make money, if businesses make money. And I will say that. Look at the the Part 135 operators and uh, small commercial guys are not the guys making money. Go to the Paris Air Show Go to the uh, foreign borough, go to your big air shows, and see the chalets on the flight line, and it's the companies that are making money. Um, there are, you know, websites that say, uh, you know, we'll fly for food. Things are changing because we've had some mishaps. But anyway, they don't, they don't really care about that. I mean, this whole notion of you know, people – go ahead, Gene. There didn't, didn't also – there were, back in the day, as I recall, we wrote some letters to the National Ombudsman concerning this very thing. At the and, uh, tried to start yes. a, yeah, about the way we tried that. I mean, we said that they should not be able to restrict commerce, and we were referred over to the NTSB, as I recall. Um, we were passed around like a hot potato. I mean, you know, that is, as far as the history lessons concerned with the RCAPA, you know, a lot of people believe that, uh, you know, letters from congressmen, public letters, letters to the FAA from congressmen, phone calls and all the rest of this, telling them to hurry up is something new and novel. Really, it's, again, you know, I, I mean, these companies are pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars a month into those efforts. RCAPA already did that for free. You know, um, we learned a lesson from that, didn't we, Gene? About being the hot potato and and uh, what uh, we got we with all of that. 
Yeah, let, let's just, and I hate to derail this, Paul, but where what happened, just so everybody kind of gets a little scoop on the history here, is things got fired up to such a, uh, a pitch that the FAA actually called us, people at the FAA, and said, please stop. Because we 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 can't get anything done because all we're doing is answering inquiries, letters, emails, telephone calls from people on the hill. Could you could you please back off so we could get something done? And what did we do? Well, the answer should have been no. The answer should have been unless you come out with something in six months, we're going to co- get a collective of a hundred people and fly our <laughs> drones around every FAA building and make a statement so that it makes public and national news. That was the time well, frame they gave us, I think. Six yes, months. When, uh, even less. When when they came out with the policy clarification of 2007, 60 to 90 days tops we're going to have something mm-hmm. out. Oh, okay, good. That sounds great. Because, yeah, I, I remember telling them. And this was in a RTCA meeting I went to. I was in D.C. I said, that's good because mom and pop can't hold, it, hold out. So we did. We backed off. We were bros. We tried to be cool, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, that didn't really get us anywhere. Um, there's another, I mean, I could go on. There's more backstory on that, and we don't want to derail the Drone U podcast. But anyway, that has been tried. It was done for free, and it was done through grassroots. Grassroots. I won't say free. It was done on all donations given to R Kappa. Um, well, so I'm, Pat, I'm not you- encouraged with hurry up. That's not going to work. Well, do you think that if we were to make, you know, if you think about the Coney 2012 video, which was a huge viral video about, you know, this guy killing children in Africa, and we're, here we are 6,000 miles away, and it means uh, really very little to our direct impact of life. And they got the attention to make a public stir large enough that everyone wanted something to do with it and to make a difference. I think in order for drones to really progress and for us to not wait until 2017, there has to be some public demonstration, albeit peaceful, to tell the FAA, look, you are costing our country money. You are costing our country economic growth. We are not going to deal with this anymore, and we are going to continue flying, and we're going to fly right here around the building to make a point that, hey, look, uh, drones are legal, and we're going to keep flying. Right. Well, and I would agree with that. And, uh, you know, that might be a, a place where money would be better spent. Let's say that I've gone to associations and advocacy groups that have millions of dollars and have come up with plans to, to do this. And even, you know, years ago, get in front of the privacy thing, get in front of the fear thing, get out there and talk about the good uses, do some PSAs, run commercials. No, I'm uh, talking about doing a demonstration. I'm talking about getting literally 100 to 300 people who have a phantom and create a circle around a public building to make a point and get the press there to take photos of it. Unless we create public pressure and public scrutiny, you're not going to do a damn thing. Be careful. Well, yeah, just be careful. I, I, you know, I mean, I'm not saying don't do it. I mean, you know, I'm, I don't have a lock on, on what's cooking, you know. I mean, that's just as good as any idea anywhere. But uh depends on the public building you could do that around. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'll be there. But, you know, I would say bring the ideas on. But let's let's not get too sidetracked from the, the, the podcast. We yeah. only have seven minutes left. So let's let's talk about um, and and um, you know I, I, maybe that's t- a podcast for another time. We gotta we got we should ferret some of these ideas out. So I'm a, but, I'm passionate here. 
compassion. No, I know. I, I know you are, and that's good. But, you know, what happens with these podcasts is before you know it's over. <laughs> we miss I get the, it. No, I get told. it. So uh, let's talk about Drone You. You know, um, we heard a little bit about you. Let's talk about Drone You and how long it's been in existence. Kind of what's the ethos with uh, Drone You? Cool. So Drone You hasn't been around for very long. Uh, in fact, it's very, very new. We just started our seed launch class to really refine and retain our classes. The goal of Drone You is multifaceted. It's number one to create an institution of learning for the progression of the UAV industry by teaching um, engineering systems, uh, the basics and fundamentals around systems, advanced flight techniques, um, cinematography, videography, uh, kind of the, legal, the legalities and the history that's been paved by the FAA. What we're really teaching people is how to turn their toy into a tool and turn their passion into a profit. And through that, we also teach people how to use their phantoms and their uh, Iris Pluses and their 3D Robotics X8 to, for commercial applications like 3D point cloud, precision ag, uh, volumetric measuring, um, construction site management, things like that to ensure that we can actually go out in the world, meet with more people, <clears throat> progress the industry, but also educate the pilots on safety concerns, um, log books, pre-flight checklists, the systems engineering, redundancy procedures, emergency flight procedures, meteorology, kind of the whole the whole kit and caboodle when it comes to things you should know while you're flying. And uh, that's really what DroneU is. It's taught primarily online. We do have a training facility here in Albuquerque and kind of like a, uh, it's not been fully built yet, but our obstacle course where people can come out and they can actually fly at the obstacle course and really test their piloting skills and also test their videography skills. And so are you, are you trying to give people, like, you know, uh, exposure to, let's say, an aviation mm -hmm. business, or do you not feel like it's it's that? Or, you know, there's some rules of the road we you got to learn? What's the... Um, there are a couple classes on business strategies on how to market yourself and how to really turn your hobby into a business. Um, I talk about the ways that I've gone out in the field, and it, and I really want to reiterate that, and I haven't said it yet. DroneU, the difference between DroneU and every other institution out there is that it's taught from experience. It's taught from the people that are actually out there, like myself, that are making money, filming real estate, doing applications for construction, doing applications for architecture. It's taught on that whole experience factor. When I went to UVU, there was a huge disconnect. You learned a bunch of technical information about military vehicles that wasn't important, and you couldn't go out in the field and actually do anything with the education. That's where mm -hmm. we bridge the gap. Yeah, I did go through some of the uh, the unmanned vehicle university. I did the the three day course, and a lot of it, I you know, I thought, yeah, there's some there's some value in there. You get some nomenclature, a little bit of history. But uh, like you said, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of people kind of misconstrue the history of the drone. You know, well, we can just we can fill it up with two thirds military and go from there. But really, it's irrelevant. I mean, I, I think it should probably be something mm -hmm. that's like you know. A fifth or something. Yes, it is out there. This is kind of what it was doing. But I don't think you're going to find yourself in a hangar full of Preds or a hangar full of Global Hawks, you know, working out uh, a business plan personally. So I think it's kind of yeah. specialist. 
Um, so, okay, uh, you, you get a little bit of empirical uh, experiences, kind of what you're you're working with here. Could you? And you kind of ran through some of the programs that you're offering, but are these like certificate programs? Do we have like, you know, are we going for accreditation? What, what what's happening? So as of right now, all we can do is certify on information. We can certify on the safety, on the precautions. Um, you know, we can certify information based off of manufacturer's standards. Like, for example, we just met with DJI, and I don't want to announce too, too early what we will be doing with DJI, but we, w- we will be and we are working with them now to create programs to help them better educate uh, people who do buy Phantoms and Inspire Ones and uh, Vision Pluses and all that. Um, does that answer? Does that answer your question? It does, and I, you Lots know, I mean, it's 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 good to kind of hear that. I mean, I think that uh, one thing, you know, DJI is is as far as the manufacturer is concerned, is definitely getting a little bit more proactive, you know, with their with mm-hmm. their software and whatever else. And I think it's good. It's responsible. Um, well, see, you know, and, and it's not just DJI as a manufacturer. We also teach and work in conjunction with Pix4D. Which is what mm-hmm. you were talking about earlier on the show, the whole software side, the whole which is a much more important side, the autonomous features, the ability to do these functions. I will say though that we are in the process of getting our accreditation as a higher um mm-hmm. uh, postgraduate institution because we do want to have a little bit more weight behind our cert- our certificates now with mm-hmm. Lemieux and unmanned vehicle University, you know, I really touted that piece of paper in the real world to be much more important than it really ever was. Because let's face it, out in the real world, people really do want to see that piece of paper that that is really your peer review, your certification that you have learned this information from someone else, and they're saying that you've learned it well enough you can use it in the field. Right. Uh, it does go a long way. It gives people, it kind of indemnifies people from certain things. Uh, I, I always kind of go back and forth with that. It's kind of funny. And the same with Gene is people say, well, you know, uh, do you have a degree doing this? It's like, well, <clears throat> you know, I've been kind of doing it for so long. There was there was nobody even talking about doing it when we were doing it. Yeah. You concur with that, Gene? Uh, I'd call that a Ph.D. in experience. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> out in the field uh, doing or, you know, I, I don't know, it's kind of funny. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, we did, uh, they get this all the time with uh, NDAs, too. People are like, oh, well, you know, uh, we need an NDA and we're going to work on this. It's like, you know, I can't sign that. And it's like, I, you know, I've been here for so long developing and collaborating on things that this would really cut me off from the people that I know. It's kind of an interesting yeah. side note. But I do agree that uh, it does help people. Um, like you said, it's kind of a peer review, and it helps people get jobs and whatever else, or you know, uh, opportunities come their way. Now we're running a little bit long, but uh, I did have um, some, just a couple more questions. And one of them is, is um, you know, any thoughts on some of the newer applications that you've seen in the news? Um, I mean, it's there's a new use every day. Yeah. Are, are you kind of considering that? I, it's one of the okay. It's one of the issues that I have Here, on the regulatory front is people want to you know talk about and regulate and and think about stuff that's that's let's say current today. But but one thing in this industry is this technology is so fluid. If you start talking about building things around a technology that almost exists today. By the time you get the whole thing ferreted out it's or, or sussed out, it's going to be uh, obsolete. Too late. Uh, what say you? Yep. 
Well, look at well, look at Airbnb. Look at um, Uber. You know, these are all uh, perfect present day examples of how uh, technology and the advancement of alternative means has surpassed right the regulatory world, the regulatory environment. Um, I think that if you look at the past, even with the way the, impl- the implementation of airplanes and regulation, if we would have waited for the FAA, we, we would have been 60 years behind the ball. Um, uh, you know, and that's no joke. Uh, at the same time, look at the FCC, just your example the other day of the FCC and, you know, walkie-talkies. Everyone was supposed to register their walkie-talkie with the FCC once they got it. And did they ever do that? No. No, they didn't. Um, That'd be a negative, good buddy. <laughs> with the CBs, it was uh, all over the place. And the funny thing is the enforcement of the CB thing was usually a couple of uh, drunk guys on the CB, and they would eventually you know, go off or whatever and invite the guy over for a beer. And I've talked to several people that got busted that way. <laughs> Come on over and have a beer, and then it turns out that you know it's a dude from the uh, FCC enforcement. But whatever, um, you know. Well, some of those technologies, I agree. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I think the the unmanned aircraft thing, the FAA is like, look, we want you to come up with solutions or mitigators for every possible. Uh, safety issue, foreseen, unforseen, crystal but ball. But you know what? You are so right in that you said that we're talking about technology today and that once they actually fared out, you know, uh, regulations were already behind the ball. You saw that if you listened to the hearing, the congressional hearing just last week. They said, well, what happens, you know, if you get a lost signal with my RC airplane? It's gone and it's flying over some somewhere. And the guy from MIT clicks in, excuse me, we have geofencing and GPS information already available, even on that small quadcopter, that phantom that you pulled out. So if it loses the signal and it's created an accurate GPS position, it will fly home and you will not have an accident. I mean, that's a perfect example. When you talk about what are some of the newer applications I've seen in the news, Gene, Pat, I've seen 245 that were only once available to be used on $50,000 aircraft. Now you can buy a Phantom and spend $3,000 on software, so a grand total investment of five grand. And I'll tell you from experience, you can easily make six figures a year utilizing those two little things. Right. Well, and I mean that's that is I mean that's the glaring another one of the glaring issues with the FAA thing is it's like they're they're looking at ravens and pumas and predators and you know scan eagles as state of the art high tech technology. You know that's that's all ten year old crap. That's not what anybody wants to buy and fly commercially. Don't tell that to you know Aerovironment and Boeing because <laughs> you'll probably yeah, break their heart. Well, you know, there's uh, the, the bigger companies too are, are um, you know, they're starting to follow that DOD model, and the community, as far as I'm concerned, is starting to think that these big companies they're going to make money with those big companies. Those big companies are going to give them contracts, and uh, yeah, you know, right. Maybe they will. Yeah, uh, right. Okay, you said it, Mister Reality over here. Anyway, man, this I'm is sorry. a doom cloud. Go. <laughs> but Cut uh, the bullshit. Uh, oh, hey, family program. Watch that language there. Um, okay, well, so, uh, you know, we've we've covered a lot on the, the drone unit. It sounds like you're really kind of coming from a, a, an experience-based position. But uh, let's do this because we're out of time. We ran long. And, yes, we do have people complain, oh, you know, the podcast is too long. Oh, no, the podcast is too short. Oh, no. Well, anyway, so, 
the, the mail that I get is kind of funny on it. But uh, Paul, could you please give us the website where listeners can learn more um, about what you're doing and, and the stuff that you're going to roll out here? Totally. They can go to thedroneu.com and find information about our programs. Um, like I said, we're still in our speed launch right now, so we're testing all of our classes, which will be available to the public on January 5th. But I will say this, as of going through the classes already with our first group, everything has gone very, very well so far. So I'm excited to really share this knowledge for people, and I'm really excited for people to go out there and understand reliving their imagination as a child in the sky and to understand the unreal perspective, but furthermore, to turn that into a profit and to make money and do it now and do it today and help and grow the progression of this industry for the betterment of us all. Well, that sounds good. I like that. Gene, anything in closing, sir? Well, I am uh, ready to join and go to the U, so just let us know when it starts, Paul. <laughs> well, Gene, thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right, everybody, if we don't have another podcast before the holiday, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, or Hanukkah, whatever you're into, and uh, we'll see you next time. Adios, Thanks guys. again, guys. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.